Hebrews chapter 11. And this evening, we want to look at the phrase in Hebrews 11, by faith, Abraham. Look at what we can learn from the life of this man. Hebrews 11, and I'll begin reading with verse number 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. He went out not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed. And was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in the faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, again, it is wonderful to be able to punctuate a day with fellowship and in the study of the Word of God. So as we get into the Scriptures, pray that for the next little while you just speak to all of our hearts. Give us ears to hear. Help me to speak with clarity. We thank you for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us of all sin. We're so grateful that you so loved the world you gave your only begotten Son. These things we pray for in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. We've been slowly going through this book of Hebrews, and it seems like we've been on some kind of a hiatus for a little while, but now we can get right back into this. We've covered a lot of territory. The book speaks about better things, better promises, better covenants, better priesthoods, and things like that. How much better we have in comparison with what they had under the old covenant. But when we began this chapter, we looked at Abel. We looked at creation. We looked at Enoch. We talked even about Noah with some detail. And we told you that the, the, the ability to understand that God is the one that made the heavens and the earth, this is all based on faith. That a person who does not have faith is going to struggle with the idea that all things were made by the word of God. That's verse 3. Then we learned, of course, that faith has to do with how we give to God, how we present our offerings to God. And we told you that it's not just how much we give to God, but it's what we withhold that very often can get us in trouble with God. Because Abel offered a good sacrifice. Cain even offered a sacrifice to God, but is what he withheld from God. He withheld from God the offering of a respectful offering and a, a pure heart, things like that. We then told you that Enoch's testimony shows that faith means you ought to live what you believe, even in a generation of people who don't believe in your God. We told you that Noah had the kind of faith that allowed him to work out his salvation amid a generation that had minds that were grossly perverted. 
But yet this man still saw his family saved. And, and what we could learn from that. Well, now we look at the man who essentially is the patriarch of all Old Testament characters. He's the father of a group of people called the Israelites. And as the scripture says, he's the spiritual father of Christians. So important is Abraham in the history of this world that you have no less than three major religions that claim him. The Jewish people love Abraham. All the Christians love Abraham. And Muslims love Abraham. But when we look at him in scripture, we're introduced to a man who was called to leave his area which would have been Mesopotamia, and then later on Haran, the southeastern part of Turkey. He left his father and his fatherland in order to follow what he perceived to be a promise or a vision from God. And as you can see in verse 8, it starts with, by faith, Abraham. And that's why we have the title of the lesson, by faith, Abraham. Because this is about his trust, his reliance, and his confidence in God. And you can, you can see the, the way that, that the writer, Paul, uses the verbs when describing Abraham. By faith, Abraham, then you have this long clause, and it says, obeyed. By faith, Abraham obeyed. And then verse 9, by faith, he lived. He lived in a certain place. And then in verse 10, it doesn't say by faith, but then he looked for a city. We know that was a matter of faith also. Well, let's, let's work on this then. In verse 8, it tells us he was called to go out. You've got to be willing to leave some places and some people. This man left his family, and he left the place where he was born. He pulled up, he pulled up all the tent pegs. He pulled up the stakes where he had right there in his own plot of land in Mesopotamia in order to go to a place that God had not given him any specifics of. Just, just faith in God is what led him to do that. And, and some people struggle to do that. But, but this is what faith is. By faith he obeyed. If this is what God tells you to do, then you have to do it. If, if God tells you to leave your family, you've got to leave them. If he tells you to leave your homeland where you were born and raised and go to a different place, you have to do it. If the Lord, if you feel like God's dealing with your heart to change jobs and move and do something different, you still have to do that because it's a matter of faith. And the only position for you to take after God speaks to you is a position of action. By faith, Abraham obeyed. Now, now here's what Jesus said one time to some people. They said, now, I want, they said, I want to follow you, Lord. And, and I know I've seen these miracles you're doing, and I really want to be a disciple of yours. However, um, I can't leave right now because I've got to take care of some of the folks in my family that aren't doing so well. And here's what the Lord said. Let the dead bury the dead. He said, you're going to have funerals all the time. You're going to bury people every day in this world, but serving me is going to have eternal value to it. On another occasion, somebody was talking to him, and he looked at the mass of people behind him, and he said, you know, except you hate your mom, your dad, your brothers, your sisters, your nieces, your nephews, your uncles, and your aunties, you're not worthy of me. That's a hard pill to swallow. 
And when he said, except you hate them, he's just simply saying, love them less. That's all. Who do you put before God? You have anybody in your family, anybody in your life that's so important to you that it would that they would prohibit you from serving God. Now, you, you may think this strange, but I've seen this happen. I've seen <clears throat> husbands and wives where one party becomes a Christian, and I've seen the spouse tell the other one, if you're going to be married to me, you're not going to church. And I've seen wives stop going to church because their husband said, I'll divorce you, and, and we're not going to stay married if you decide you're going to go to church. Uh, that, that seems like something that, that nobody would, would, would listen to, but I, I've seen a whole lot of people stay home because of that. And, and if, if ever it gets, gets around to me and somebody asks me a question, I, I start asking other questions. Is, is your husband, is your wife worth going to hell over? Do you really want that person to become your God to the point where they knock and dictate to you how to worship God. Abraham's family, they were idolaters, and I think maybe I should show this to you. Let's go in the Old Testament to the book of Joshua. You probably should see this one, Joshua 24. Joshua is the sixth book of the Old Testament, Joshua 24. And I have a reason for showing this to you, and this is because some people have a hard time walking away from the traditional beliefs of their family. So there are many people in Africa that have a hard time walking away from their ancestral religions because they don't want to hurt great-grandpa's feelings. See, that kind of a thing. Notice Joshua 24, and look at verse number 2. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. So Abraham's brother and Abraham's father served other gods. Verse 3, and I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. And I gave unto Isaac Jacob and Esau. So, so notice what Abraham had to do. He had to separate himself not only from his family and from where he was raised, but also from the entire culture. Now, you know how difficult that is. To possess the kind of faith that sometimes says to you, I no longer believe or embrace a religion that worships multitudes of gods. Or, or a religion that says God lives in the tree, and God lives in the rocks, and God lives in the plants. Scripture says in Hebrews 11, by faith, Abram, when he was called to go out to a place that he'd have to receive as an inheritance, he obeyed. There's more of a crucifixion in what he had to do than we've ever really thought about, how difficult this is. Now, just on a, on a, on a more practical level for all of us, it, at some point or another in your life, you've had to make decisions, I'm sure, that your parents didn't agree with. Yeah. My parents were quite pleased that I went into the military because I had other people in my family who had been in the military, but they weren't so pleased 
when I got out of the military and said, I'm moving to Jordan. They weren't so pleased. And when I came back from Jordan and was living in the States again, they were quite happy, but they weren't so pleased when I said, I'm moving to Nebraska. I'm going to stay here. Okay? But I'm sure you've made some decisions in, in, in your life that, that your mom and dad might have questioned or caused them to scratch their their head about it, and maybe they didn't tell you until, until years later, but yet you still felt compelled to make that decision. At some point, the umbilical cord had to be cut. And this is what happened with, with Abraham. To walk with God means that God becomes the sovereign ruler of your life, and when he speaks and you really believe he has spoken to you in a definitive way, there's no other action other than obedience, to just do what God tells you to do. However difficult it might seem to you, we think a lot of times if we obey God, the greatest crucifixion that's ever taken place is about to happen. I'm going to die a thousand deaths if I obey what God is telling me to do. You're not going to, you're not going to do any such thing. <laughs> okay? you're, not, you're not going to die. You're going to live. And, and however difficult it is to you, it's still not going to be greater than the pain Jesus experienced on the cross when he died. Some of you might have even married somebody your parents didn't want you to marry. Mm-hmm. Yes, I know that. That started out with me. Yeah. I forgive my mother-in-law every time I talk to her. <laughs> every time I talk to her. Yeah. Okay. But Tiffany understood obedience to the command of God. Okay. So verse, verse 8 again. Now, notice the clause between by faith Abraham and then the word obeyed. He, he was called to go to a place that he'll receive for an inheritance. Abraham was 75 when he left home, good ripe old age. He was 100 years old when Isaac was born. Sarah was 127 years old when she died. And when she died, he had to purchase some land from the Hittites in order to properly bury her. Now, he had already been dwelling in the land about seven decades. So about 70 years he had been in the promised land, and he did not own, he did not own any soil in the land that was promised to him. There was not a particle of dust that belonged to him until his wife died and he made the purchase. So here's what I'm, what I'm getting at. God made a promise to him, but it still was decades later before he ever started owning some of what it was that God told him he would have. And he lived long enough to dwell like a stranger. Now, God can make all kinds of promises to you and to me. And Abraham obviously was looking for a city, as the scripture says, he was looking for a spiritual city. But even while he awaited the spiritual city, he still had to walk out this natural lifestyle with his wife and later on with his children. And God still did not give him property one year after another. So what is faith? Faith is trusting that what God has promised you will be given to you. Despite the fact you go long periods of times without ever seeing any of it come to fruit or come to pass. That's, that's what faith is. Trusting the Lord. So, so verse 9, he, he, he lived in the land of promise. This was promised to him, but every day he had to watch the Hittites and the Hivites and other Canaanites 
as they were building dwellings and everything else, and yet knowing that this was land given to him. Now, he could have ran all around the villages and told everybody, look, this belongs to me. You folks can pack up and leave now. But that wouldn't have did him any good. He probably got him killed. But, but the promise of God came to him, and, and God knew that the way or the proper way, the scriptural way for him to inherit the land and subdue the land was to multiply his seed. You cause the people to become numerous enough, they'll take it all over. See? Yeah. And, and this is why Jesus is very interested in ensuring that we go and we tell the people right where we are at home and even in distant places about the gospel. Because the more people that accept the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, that means they become citizens of the kingdom of heaven. The more residents there are in a particular area. If we ever wanted to see Thayer County change to the point that sin wouldn't have a, a strong and powerful and deadly effect, we just simply need to see more people saved. If you get more people saved, you have more people thinking more and more like, like the Lord. Well, verse 9, then, he lived in the land of promise as in a strange country. So as a stranger, as an immigrant, that's how he lived, in tents. Now, it's very likely, although I can't prove this from Scripture, but it's very likely when he lived in Mesopotamia with his family that they, they would have maybe had a home, maybe a mud clay dwelling or something like that. Archaeologists certainly have found a lot of those over there. But once he left at the age of 75, for the next century, he and Sarah and folks are, for the most part, in temporary dwelling places and in tents. And that's not the most hospitable environment for a wife. Now, we still have several thousands of people today that are Bedouins that live out in the deserts of Arabia and Jordan and Places like that. And, and I recall when I was in Arabic school, one of our field trips with the director of the school was to a Bedouin camp. I mean, you get out to a Bedouin camp, they've got maybe eight or nine tents out there. You've got 70 or 80 people in this one particular clan living together. They're, they're eating all of their food in one tent, the guys in one side and the ladies in the other. And I'm sure they probably did that because the foreigners were there. Any other time, they probably all just ate together. But I, I sat out there in that tent, and when the sun was up in the daytime, it was hot under that tent with all that skin on top of it and everything. But later on in the evening when we were there and, and, the, and the sun disappeared, the moon came up, it was cold out there in the desert. And to watch the ladies try to prepare bread over these, they've got, the, the, all of this stuff out there, this stone and wood and fire coming up and a big, huge iron thing that's circular that's over that, and they're using that to put the bread down on it and shape it and everything. I said, this is a hard life. How much better it would be if somebody had a skillet and a stove? But this was how they were living then. This is 20 years ago. So imagine if we just go back Oh, about 3,000 years, how different life was then. And they didn't have the kind of utensils that we have. A person stepped out in faith, and of course, they didn't know a lifestyle that was any different than that time, but they lived like pilgrims. Pilgrims. Now, it says also 
that his child Isaac and his grandchild Jacob were also raised in the tents with him. Now let's remember from Abraham's, uh, from, the, from the birth of Isaac until Abraham died, we're looking at 100 years. So here comes Jacob and, and Isaac. And remember, Jacob had a twin brother named Esau, and Rebekah had believed the Lord with Isaac for 20 years to have a kid. And, and so you've got this long, progressive period of time where everybody's being raised out there, but they're all inheritors or heirs of the same promise. This means the promise that came to the grandfather applied to the grandchild. So the promise doesn't change. And in the New Testament, we have a little verse that says, the promises in him are yea, or yes, and amen. That means as a Christian, I can believe <clears throat> that the promises that were extended to the believer through the Lord Jesus Christ are just as important and useful to me today as they were 2,000 years ago to the believer. The same promises. You say promises like what? Promises of redemption. Promises that God would supply our needs. Promises that, that if, if we pray, God is a God that answers prayer. The promise that tells us that one day the Lord is going to return. The promise that says there is a new Jerusalem and one day we're going to inhabit it. The promise that says precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. To know that when we pass away, he's pleased with how we as Christians leave this world. That, that's that kind of a promise. Well, verse 10 speaks of a city, foundations built by God. In Abraham's day, you didn't have any foundations built by God. Those little makeshift buildings they had certainly could not have been considered to be the work of God. This man lived in a tent dreaming and thinking and meditating about a city he'd never seen. That's faith. The ability to envision what does not presently exist in your sight. Now, we do this all the time when we try to think about heaven, mm -hmm. New Jerusalem. We read the book of Revelation. It tells us there won't be a need for a moon or a sun, so we try to imagine a world where there's no sun. It's near impossible to do because every day you have a sun. You don't know what it's like to be without that kind of light. We, we try to imagine a world where where flowers don't die. Because over there, there's no death. So nothing wilts, and the leaves don't fall to the ground. It's hard to conceive a place like that. We, we try to imagine a world where there'll be no need to cry. Babies cry all the time. Adults cry. Grown men and grown women cry when they lose their parents or something bad happened. A whole lot of people cry every day. But imagine a world where never a tear has to be shed. That's amazing. Abraham was trying to envision something with which he was totally unfamiliar. And even when we try to do the same thing, it's tough. I guarantee there probably are colors in heaven that John could not adequately describe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He, he did the best he could. He tried to explain the, the things that he saw, and he, 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 he used words and imagery that makes sense to us, but 
I mean, when you talk about a city with foundations that are the stones like diamonds and everything like that, how do you describe something like that? And pearled gates and angels and things dressed in, in white. It's hard to explain those kinds of things. But this is what we look for every day. And even though I know that we're in this world, Epistle of John says we're not of this world, which tells me we're pilgrims. We're strangers in this land. We go to the grocery store. We make our purchases. We pump gas into our cars. We drive back and forth. But we know ultimately this is not home. There's no doubt about it. This is not home. This physical body that you see and I see in you, that, that is not the real you or the real me. One day we're going to receive glorified bodies and, and, and all of us are going to have muscles on top of our muscles and we're just going to be nice people when we get on the other side. Life is going to be good. No aches and pains or anything like that. So we're looking for something. By faith you look for something. You can see something before it even comes to pass. You can envision it. And that's, that's what we have here with, with this man. And Every time he had a physical problem or every time in the middle of the night or on some occasion when the wind came and just lifted the tent up and might have even destroyed the tent in the storm. I'm sure he was thinking about that city. And when you hear about wars in this world and bombs being dropped on buildings and you see the pictures of Aleppo over there in Syria and hollowed out buildings and masses of people in the streets, 20 or 30,000 trying to walk out of the city. Folks, I'm telling you, there's no bombs going to drop on the streets of that city. None at all. Nobody's trying to get out of New Jerusalem. Everybody's trying to get in. Nobody's trying to get out. So verse 10 then tells us that, that faith gives us the ability to appreciate a city that God has built. Now, verse 11 is interesting because God did something, Sarah did something, and then she received. God made a promise. She judged him faithful who promised. So she received strength to conceive seed. Now, she was over 90, okay? I've asked this question all across America in different places when I've been teaching on Abraham or Sarah or something like that. And then I, you don't have to do it, but I, I'll ask the ladies for, for a show of hands. I'll say, how many of you in here that are over 90 want to go through being a mom all over again? And I don't ever get a hand. I mean, people, just, they, they sit on their hands. I mean, <laughs> they don't, who wants to be 90 years of age changing diapers? Sarah did. Sarah did. And the scripture tells us here, she received strength, power, ability to conceive. Wow. Now we're talking about God getting involved with procreative events. Now don't, don't, don't be surprised that, that he, he did this. Remember how Christ was born now. Born of the Virgin Mary. The Spirit of God came upon her. She conceived. Lord did that as a miracle, as the scripture said. Why would we be surprised about that? Well, God made the promise to her, and you'll remember Sarah laughed, and that's why Isaac has the name that he has now, because the name Isaac in Hebrew means laughter. 
Sarah just, she just said, can, can somebody like me at this age conceive? And God showed her the answer is yes. And verse 12 then says, so from that one, somebody as good as dead. Okay. Abraham was close to it. He was 100 when Isaac was born. Remember that. This is not supposed to happen. In, in Romans, it tells us concerning Sarah's womb, it was dead. See, her womb was dead. So God somehow did this wonderful and, and creative miracle. And then it says that in verse 12, from that one person, you have so many children that they're like the stars in the sky in multitude. Now, all of us at one time or another, I'm sure, have tried to count the stars in the sky. I, I know I've done that. I've looked up there and tried to count, and you know you get to about 25 or 30, and then you get distracted because somebody comes tap you on the shoulder, and then they want to start a conversation. Then by the time you look back up there, you have no idea on this earth where you were at. You can't even get back in the same location, unless maybe you were looking at a constellation and knew you were at the Big Dipper and knew you were somewhere around the North Star or, or something like that. But imagine, imagine walking along the, the shores of the sea, and then with your hand you scoop up some sand, and then you start trying to count every grain of sand. Oh, you'll be there a long time. You're going to be there a long time. And, and this is how many children Abraham has. It's too many to count all over the place. We have no idea historically how many Jewish people have ever lived on this planet. We don't know. We do know that America is the biggest homeland for Jewish people outside of Israel. So there are a lot of them here, a lot of them over there, a lot of them in Europe, good many in Africa, certainly throughout the Far East, lots of Jewish people in South America also. But these are all individuals who are of the seed of Abraham, and it's interesting to think that they all count themselves as descendants of Abraham. One man, just one man. One man who was a century, was 100 years old, and believed God. And you know the other thing about this that I guess it could be somewhat sad but still no less amazing Abraham didn't live long enough to see all of this. I mean, By the time he died he had lived long enough to see Isaac have Jacob and Esau and Jacob and Esau have you know maybe some family and all that and I mean he had a, he had a little clan he didn't live long enough to see what happened when they all went down into Egypt. Even though the scripture testifies that the Lord prophesied and said that your seed is going to go into Egypt and then in the fourth generation they're going to be delivered. So he knew that if my seed's going to go down into Egypt, there's got to be, there's got to be some people. He knew that, and by faith he believed that. And from where he's sitting right now in heaven, I'm sure he scratches his head every time he thinks about the plan of God. Even Jesus said that if people do what they're supposed to do, he said they'll sit down with Abraham in the kingdom of heaven. God's not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Look at verse 13. These all died in the faith. 
These all who? Abel in verse 4, Enoch in verse 5, Noah in verse 7, Abraham in verse 8, and also Isaac and Jacob mentioned in 9, and then Sarah in verse 11. These all died. That's what we need to know. Everybody is going to go by way of the grave. Everybody's appointed once to die, the scripture says. Now, now there's a right way to die. There's a wrong way to die. The right way to die is in faith, with confidence, trust, and belief in God. The wrong way to die is blaspheming God and saying you don't believe and dying in unbelief. I quote the scripture again. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. I mean, death for us, we, we think of it as, a lot of times as a bad thing, and uh, certainly it's... Um, it's a reason to be sorrowful when it's somebody you're close to and somebody means a whole lot to you. And, and we cry more for any other reason because of the separation now. I don't know how many times my mom has told me if I could just pick up the phone and hear grandma's voice again. Okay? Yeah, just to hear it one more time. And my mom has told me there have been times where unconsciously she has walked into the kitchen and picked up the phone and started dialing my grandmother's number only to realize she's not even here. And this has been 20 years, you understand? But my grandma died in faith. These folks in Hebrews 11, these all died in faith. So Paul says we don't sorrow as other people when our believing family members and friends pass away. We weep, we cry because we're going to miss them, but we know we'll see them again on the other side. We know that. Yeah. And the people who sorrow, who have no hope, we understand why they're crying. We understand why they're crying. I've seen funerals where people will throw themselves over the casket, screaming and yelling. I've seen funerals where the family members faint, and folks got to sit there and fan them because it is falling apart because somebody has passed away. I've seen it where there's wailing. I've even seen funerals where at the funeral people break out into fights at the funeral. Yeah. People who do not know God and people who have no hope, who have no conception of heaven and hell, they don't usually die good. They don't die good. But believers, we, we, we want to die trusting the Lord, even though we haven't received the promises. That's what it says of them. They have not received the promises, but they saw them afar off. They had a glimpse of it. See, they, they, they know on the other side, I'm going to see the Lord. Yeah. And, and that's, a good way, that's a good way to go home. And many people, like Paul, Paul knew he was coming to a point in his life where he was going to see the Lord. So he said, I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up a crown for me. Peter was able to say, I must shortly put off this tabernacle. I believe sometimes God gives people the, the understanding that 
My days are numbered. The time is short. I'm getting ready to go. Let's put all things in order now. And that's, that's difficult for family. Can you imagine Abraham's family gathering around him and, and he's getting ready to pass away and people have to say goodbye and this is going to be the last conversation and the last words that are spoken or Jacob, as it says in Genesis, when he brings his children and in some regards his grandchildren to him and he's laying hands on them and he's prophesying to them of their future, and then he dies. But he died in faith. He died trusting Trust in God. There's a right way. There's a wrong way. Paul said to Timothy, be faithful unto death. Many Christians, martyrs, marched to their grave, believing God. Some of them stood on the edge of a mountain because a Roman soldier was there telling them to bow their knees to a Roman God. Christians took a 30-inch step, went right over the side of the mountain to their death. No way on this earth they were going to bow to some Roman soldier. Christians, during the ancient Roman times, sometimes their bodies were used to illuminate the nighttime games for the emperors. Bodies would be daubed in tar or pitch, and then set on fire, then hoisted up on some, uh, I want to say, spear-like or javelin-like thing, but something very high that would put them way up there in the air, and their bodies all around would just illuminate the nighttime games as the gladiators would go out and fight, or the chariots would roll around the stadium. But how did they die? In faith. There is a book, it's not in the Bible, but it's one of the books of the early apostolic fathers. It's called The Martyrdom of Polycarp. You ought to read it if you ever get your hands on it. And... Um, You'll see how that Christian died. St. Ignatius, who was an apostolic father, a disciple of John the, the Apostle. He has a series of letters that he wrote to some of the churches before he died. You'll see some of the things that these folks were saying when they knew they were getting ready to go and uh, pass on. Let me finish up here. It says... They saw them afar off, they were persuaded, they embraced them, they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Folks, life is short. Be willing to obey God and do everything God tells you to do. And don't ever be embarrassed by serving God. Don't allow anybody to cause you to believe you need to hang your head in shame because you trust that God has done something for you. But be strong in the Lord and in the power of of his might. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. If God is for you, who can be against you? Thanks be unto God who always causeth us to triumph. Don't be ashamed of God. Not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first, then to us who believe. Let's pray. Father, tonight we thank you, we love you, we praise you. We're happy that Abraham did so much by faith. It's amazing, Lord, that that one little word can bring about so many accomplishments in our lives. All we have to do is believe. So, Father, we thank you. By faith, we can do many things. And that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. These things we pray for in Jesus' matchless name. And everyone said, Amen, amen, amen.